Welcome to Sozo Talk Radio, the show where the host is too lazy to even pronounce so-so accurately. This is the most amazingly average to almost slightly better than mediocre broadcast that will be sure to astound you with impressive interviews and talk. Blah, 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 blah. Are they gone? Good. You can never be too careful. Illuminati spies are everywhere. But thankfully, they have notoriously low attention spans, and so it was necessary to fake them out with that utterly boring intro. Sozo is in fact a secret code word for soteriological bliss, an existential ecstasy that can only be found in relationship with and in childlike abandonment to our loving Heavenly Papa and our Master and Commander, the Good Shepherd, and our salvation, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. I am your host, Daniel Lovett. Let us embark upon a glorious adventure, exploring the depths and mysteries of Christ, one interview at a time. SozoTalkRadio.com Welcome to Sozo Talk Radio. Sozo Talk Radio. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, welcome everyone to Sozo Talk Radio. My name is Daniel Lovett. And on the line, I've got John McMurray. And uh, John McMurray, uh, he is a full-time photographer of nature and uh, going around capturing uh, kinds of, of lovely photos for various things. You can talk more, uh, talk a little bit about that, John. Love to hear about that. And um, you're also a theologian and uh, you've been teaching uh, this school of theology and doing these open table conferences. Uh, my wife and I were blessed to, to be a part of one of yours. So we, we did played some music for uh, one back in June uh, of 2019. So it was Which was awesome. awesome. Yeah, it was great. It's great to be there with you. Great to have you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and also author of A Spiritual Evolution, which I really enjoyed this book. Thanks. It's really good. It's like a culmination. How long did it take you to write this? Like seven years? years? Yeah. yeah. Six, seven years, something like that. I lost track. It was so long. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. But you really poured over this. You got so much so much depth and insight into into here and, and a lot about your spiritual journey, which is something I want to talk to you about today. And I'm entitling this talk the ADD Gospel. <laughs> <laughs> the ad or you could say ad, because the my main thing I want to highlight here is Jesus plus nothing equals everything, which I just think is a brilliant statement regarding the gospel. And I'd love to hear just about your, uh, what the gospel means to you and your discovery of, of what, of the beautiful gospel. Oh gosh. Um, let, let me start with what it means to me. Cause my discovery is really, that's the book. That's my, you know, that's the story of my journey of, of discovery really back into, I think, something very ancient. It's, I certainly want to make sure that no one thinks that it's something new, that, that I came up with some new idea or somebody else did, and I've jumped on a, on a fast-moving train to nowhere. But um, So I think it's, it's ancient, and, you know, as... I think as history has borne out the human race, we take wrong turns and we follow them out and 
it just makes things more complex, but we continue to learn and grow. And I think that's, I think that's some of what's happening kind of from a historic perspective. So but my, for me, the first part of the question, um, well, let me, let me respond to something real quick that your statement of um, Jesus plus nothing is uh, everything. Um, my five point Calvinist friends would love that statement, but they would take it very differently than I think you and I would take it. Um, cause they would, they want to talk that it's all about God. God does everything. You do nothing. And I get that. And I, I agree with that in a sense, but I don't think the sense that they mean it because I do think, um, my participation matters. I think what you choose, what I choose, what anybody chooses matters. Um, and if, if so, if my participation isn't a part of that, then it doesn't matter. It's kind of like God just kind of selects who he wants and, you know, there's not anything you can do about it, whether you get selected or you don't. And I, that's really honestly how, you know, the really strict Calvinists would, would see it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love the phrase, but it's kind of, I want to qualify it because I think, I think it's been hijacked by a different perspective. So they'll use the same phrase, but they mean something very different by it. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, but I know you and I know what you mean by it. So I'm, I am totally agreement and I, I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I agree. Um, you know, preach, <laughs> whatever. So, but, um, I have no idea who your listeners are or who might, who might ever hear what we're talking about. And I, I don't want, I don't want to, uh, not lead them, but, but give the wrong impression that we're saying what you, what you do or what you think or what you believe doesn't matter. It does. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, so for me, the gospel Daniel starts with, um, I think where I, where I kind of, uh, the way I would look at it now, where I think I went astray, where I made a mistake, um, and I think this is fairly common in, um, certainly in my experience with North American Christianity, specifically evangelicalism, I don't think that's true of all of North American Christianity, because I'd have to include, you know, the Episcopalians and the Methodists, Lutherans, Presbyterians, you know, everybody. Um, but it's basically at this point, the, the gospel starts for most people with the fall that the human race fell. That's the beginning of the story. And it's almost like, I want to say, well, you started in Genesis three. You didn't start in Genesis one. So if you ask a person, what's the fundamental truth of a human being they would say they're totally depraved or they're fallen, they're broken, they're dead. I mean, we've got a, a hundred metaphors um, and the Bible uses all of them, right? And, and where, I, where I don't agree with that, I do agree that we fell and I do agree that we're broken, that we're blind. Um, and the effects and consequences of our choices and this fall are horrendous. They're devastating. The human race suffers terribly daily because of it. Um, But that's not the deepest truth of who we are. The deepest truth of who we are is in Genesis 1 and 2. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And that's that God made us good, very good, actually, is the phrase in English. Um, and the, whoever put that together, be it Moses or whatever editors follow, um, they, they define that, they explain that. They say what was very good is God making us in his image so that we mirror the image of God and we were made in his likeness. And as, as, as the story unfolds in the Bible, the image of God is Jesus. He's the perfect image of God. He's the exact image of God, the exact representation. Not like in a mirror, right? Not like he's not the real thing. He's just kind of a reflection. No, he's the real thing, but he's the exact image. So we're made in the image of Jesus, which brings up all kinds of things. But my point being is that being made in the image of God and in his likeness, God said we were very good. So the fall happens, and I'm not denying that, but that's not the beginning of the story. So it changes, it changes a couple things about the gospel. For example, do I start that the problem of humanity is that we're separated and we're dead, and in us is, there, is, there is no good? And I would ask, okay, to that statement, which a lot of my friends believe, I would ask, do you as a human being have the power to change something God has done? If God made you good, do you have the ability or the, or the power by your choice to undo what God made good? Because mm -hmm. that's what they believe. They believe that we have, in the fall, we have fundamentally changed the ontology, the, the actual essence of our being from good to bad. And I would say, no, I would say, you don't, no human being has the ability to undo what God makes good. Do we have the ability to walk away from it? Do we have the ability to become blind to it, broken to it and suffer the consequences of that? Absolutely. And we are, but fundamentally we're good. So the gospel message to me is a message of hope. It's good news. So it's, it's, this is who you are and it's becoming aware of what God has done to rescue you from your blindness. It's not, yeah. you're broken and there's nothing good in you. You're separated and now you've got to figure out a way to get back to God. That's religion. That's what, every, that's, that's right. That's the commonality of all religions. In fact, you know, the, the two Latin words, right? Re means back. And come, the other word comes from our word ligament, you know, to bind. Mm -hmm. So even the concept of the word is, is kind of to get back to, to bind back to. So because we've, we're broken, we've changed. And I, so that's where I see a fundamental difference. So at the very beginning of the gospel, I feel like the way that I thought about it and way many people still do, I feel like is misleading to people. It's misleading. And it, what it does is it brings, it brings up several things. It brings up um, the questions of, well, why is God doing what he's doing? A more fundamental question, it completely changes our identity. So the whole identity issue of what a human being, who I am, has changed. And then so since that's changed, then the solutions change. So that's why a person can talk about it's all Christ, but mean something completely different because they're seeing it from a different perspective. It's a different solution, even though they're using the same words. I hope yeah. that makes sense. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love emphasizing the fact that the fall is a fall into spiritual blindness. Yeah. You know, that when God created us out of the dust of the earth, you know, and, and the elements of the, of the earth, and then breathed his life, his spirit in us, you know, like yep. that didn't change. You know, it's his spirit in us. That's why he can say, I never leave you. I never forsake you. Because it's like it's his spirit in us. Yep. You know, and our and our and our ultimate oneness with them that, you know, in that day you will know that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. And yeah. Wow, John 14, 20, right? And yep. I'd like to talk more about that in the future. Um, but you know, for me, I've just been thinking about this this gospel message is like Jesus as the perfect lifeguard. You know, he's saving all of his, he rescues and saves all his drowning children, you know? Yeah. Um he came for everyone. He, of course, his, his atonement is for everyone and uh, the reconciliation is for everyone. And we get to proclaim a, a message of, hey, you're reconciled, you know, <laughs> and if you believe it, you, you, you can enjoy it. Uh, if you Right. So be reconciled. You're reconciled. So be reconciled. Live exactly. like it. Act like it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yep. That's literal. That's literally what Second Corinthians 5 says. Wow. In Christ reconciling the world. So be reconciled. Yeah. Like, like actually believe it, live it out. Right? <laughs> yeah. And I love, I love the joy of that because it's like, okay, the finished work of the, of Christ and the cross, you know, that God took care of us, you know, uh, completely. Like uh, I think about his, just the vicarious nature of his, of his life and his death and his resurrection that, you know, when he died, we all died with him, the mystery of that. And the reality of that as he, him and as, as our representative head of humanity. And, and so on. Yeah. There are two things there. One is, um, so not to downplay what Jesus does, yeah. but if Jesus dies, we die. If he reconciles us, we're reconciled. It's not, it's actually because he's united himself to us, right? The eternal son of God unites himself to humanity. And it's in that union that I now can say when he dies, I die. When he raises, I raise because he's united to me. It's not union. Isn't something he does to me once he's cleaned me up. Right. right? He's united himself to me to heal me, to heal my blindness, to untwist my darkness. And that's what he's doing. That's why he, that's why it's everybody. Cause when he, there's only one human nature. And when he unites himself to humanity, that includes everybody unless you're not human. So, yeah. and so all of humanity is, is united to him. And yeah. I think that that's a big difference too, because that's something that I kind of flipped uh, in an earlier story. The second yeah. thing is, is I think um, when people sometimes hear us, Daniel, like when they hear us talking like this, they almost, and I actually have heard, I've had people say this to me. They'll say things like, um, well, then why did Jesus die? It sounds like we don't need Jesus. If, if, we're, if we're actually essentially good, we just need to kind of get help to clean ourselves up. Or we, so it kind of, they hear that as saying we don't need Jesus. And I would say, no, the exact opposite. Um, it, it again, it's it's in G, it's in the eternal Son of God uniting Himself to humanity. This doesn't this doesn't the rescue doesn't happen. The the blindness doesn't get healed unless He unites Himself to us. We stay blind. 
and we we live in those consequences forever unless he unites himself to us. So I think I, I just want to make sure people don't hear that we're saying, well, if everyone's included in in Jesus, that that means we really then why do we need him? And I'm going, well, no. And that's it's we're saying actually the opposite. I don't want people to hear that. Why wouldn't you want him to? The Bible talks about him being the desire of all nations. He's what we really want. A lot of us just don't know it. We don't realize his beauty and and you know, like even believers don't know it. Yeah. Even believers. I mean, how many times in the course of a day do I forget it? Do I not realize it? And I chase after something nowhere near as valuable or desirable. Mm-hmm. That's the blindness being worked out, right? And I still, I still live in the consequences. Right. But, yeah. but you're right. When I start to see him, as I become more aware, I almost, I almost liken it to, and this is another metaphor. Um, remember the movie Awakenings with Robert De Niro and Robin Williams? It's an old movie. Um, perhaps, perhaps. Anyway, I just, I liken it, uh, the gospel message to almost more of an awakening yes. to the truth of you, who you are and the truth of who God is. And that God hasn't, you know, he didn't create all this and it spun out of control. And he's like, oh my gosh, like I, I have to save some of them. That's the, but that's, you know, the majority of people, it's just collateral damage because you can't. And it's like, no, I, I knew this was going to happen. And I have a solution. He does. And so, I, yeah, it's, it's more, it's, it just seems to me to be a more, a, a metaphor that helps me. Maybe it doesn't help other people. It helps me, I think, understand what's going on. So when I meet, you know, someone at work or my neighbor or whoever it might be. And we're talking, I'm not looking at them as I've got to get them. I got to convince them to come to my side. Right. (laughs) I got to convince them to believe my story. No, the story is this is who you are. And I want to help wake you up to this. I want to help you become aware of this. Right. Right. So, and the, the best way to do that is, to show them love because love is the thing. Love is what has the power to change an enemy into a friend. Yeah. And so unconditional love, you know, I, I'd love to talk about that. You know, I've heard you say that there's nothing you can do that can make them stop loving you. And I love even the word that you, you know, the way that you say them, because we're talking about the Trinity, you know, and yeah, quite of course, including the host of heaven as well. So it's, it's even bigger than the Trinity, but, yeah, the Trinity at the core, we're brought up into that union, into that life, but we're unconditionally loved by them. And I like, I like that. I've, I've said too, and I've heard it said, that there's nothing you can do that can make them love you any more either. So it's not, a, it's not based on performance at all. He wants to free us from that yeah. trap and mentality of performance. I was stuck in there for a long time. This is why this, this means so much to me because it yeah. devastated yeah. me being Stuck and trapped in that performance mentality with God. And and I was too. I I certainly spent several years walking down that dead end street. So, yeah. And I find myself sometimes uh, 
taking strolls down it again. And then I go, where am I going? This just doesn't, I know better. Right. You know, so there's, there's, there's two opposites. It seems Daniel to that, or, you know, if you think of it as a pendulum, you know, the pendulum swing, there's, there's nothing I can do to make them love me more. And if I think that, then I start, I go over here to performance. I'm trying to perform. I'm trying to do something to get their favor or their blessing or to feel loved more or whatever. Then the other side, there's nothing I can do that would cause them to love me less. So, and that's more kind of the idea of um, my worth. See, they don't, they love me unconditionally, not because I somehow am worth them loving me, right? They love me unconditionally because that's who they are. That's the way God is. Yeah. And, and, I, and I say they there when you brought up the idea of them, because again, the default for me a lot of times used to be I'd say God and I would only think of an individual. So sometimes I need to remind myself, no, it's, it's this, God is this relationship of three persons who are one and indivisible. So it's three persons, but it's one being. But the way in which those three persons relate, they love. So that's their, that's their nature. I can't, I can't do something to change their nature. I don't have that ability to change who God is and what he's like. His nature is to love. So his love is not based in something in me, either either in my actions, my performance, or in my identity, my worthiness. His love of me is based in him, right? He loves me because that's what he is. That's what he does. And, and to be honest, he made me. He lo- God doesn't it, – It's hard. think of what we're saying if we say God made you to destroy you. Right. That, you know, that's saying he doesn't love what he made. Yeah. And, and yeah. what he makes, he makes out of love. So how would he not love what he makes? Because he exactly. makes it out of love, out of who they are, out of their relationship. You, you right? know, John, at, at my lowest times, you know, when I was like the most depressed and I didn't, I couldn't see God, you know, I, I was spiritually blind. So spiritually blind. The one scripture that gave me comfort is he's loving toward all he has made. I'm like, well, I'm something he made. He must love me, you know? <laughs> so even that he's loving toward all he has made. And then I came across Colossians one, you know, where it says everything was made by Jesus and for Jesus, you know, and, and Jesus even spoke that directly to my heart. Like Daniel, don't you know, I created you to love you. And that was a game changer yeah. for me. So just being awesome. loved is really where it's at. Like you, like you say, um, yeah. And it's, I find it's really cool too, Daniel, like here's, here's a scripture verse that at your lowest point, the statement in scripture was a lifeline for you. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, as you held on, like Jesus didn't abandon you, he came and you, you had a direct encounter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because he's a person. Yes. And right to to relate to a person it means an actual encounter with the person not just words on a page and you do and you you hear this you know this you you know it in the deepest part of your being because he speaks to you and says don't you know i made you i love you but there was this lifeline this statement in the bible and so i again i i'm saying this because i you know when we talk about the gospel you know there's people 
who think that this quote unquote new gospel, and I immediately go, no, it's not new. It's ancient. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, you know, you like have thrown the Bible out and I'm going, no, no, the Bible's great. It's amazing. Like, and this is, this is what I mean. Like, here's a statement that was a lifeline for you, right? That you held on to. Yeah. And I, I've experienced that as well. Well, you know, um, I just want to bring this up, John, that, that Paul, he, he, he basically had the Bible memorized, you know, the apostle Paul, but yet what did he do is he persecuted Christians. So there's, there's scales in his eyes. And remember that when he was healed, the scales fell from his eyes. And it's like, he's like, Oh, <laughs> that's who you really are. And everything changed. And then all the connections with all the scriptures he knew was starting to be made. And for the next two years, he just had this adventure of like making all these connections with the Lord, you know, of, of scripture and just like new insights, new facets of it. So it's like seeing it through the right lens, really, uh, the Bible and scripture. It's huge because we all have lenses, every one of us, right? Yeah. We all have lenses. And it, again, to use the metaphor, like it's, here's a, here's a human being who knows his Hebrew Bible, right? Yeah. Like you said, he's probably got most of it, if not all of it memorized. We know he has large chunks, chunks of it memorized. He's a Pharisee. So, but yet the choices that he's making and the way he's living is because of the lenses that he's looking at scripture through. It ha so it's not the scripture, it's the lens. And we all, we all have them. So we're, we're constantly, hopefully, uh, not constantly, that would be the wrong word, continuing to clean, change our lenses. And that's where I think the, the participation comes in. God just doesn't rip the lens off our face and hand us a new pair of lenses. Like, I think we're involved in the construction of the lens because the lens, my perspective is part is me, right? It's me thinking. So God doesn't just say, well, I'm just going to somehow abracadabra just change you against your will mm -hmm. or your heart or anything else. You have to be involved with this, right? So yeah, I think that's a huge, huge thing. Um, and I think it's like that repeatedly comes up in conversations, uh, of, of, of scripture, of the gospel, of, of the whole thing. Yeah. Well, what lens are we looking at this through? Right. Yes. Yes. And you know what this brings up for me is, is something that you shared at, uh, this, this last open table conference. And I just, uh, Encourage people if you are you're interested in at all in, in taking a look at you know attending one of these open table conferences, um, the website opentableconference.com. Yep. dot com. Yes, opentableconference.com. Check out where those are and and if you want like to attend those. But at one of the last one I was at you know, in June with you, you shared this video about the backwards brain bicycle, and there will be links in the description for this this video. And, and, you know, a large, large part of your talk was about really metanoia, this Greek word for repentance, like changing your mind, changing your thinking. And like even some, sometimes the deconstruction that happens through that. And there's a, there's a verse that came to mind for that. It's in uh, Jeremiah 1, you know, verse 9, 10, where it says, 9 and 10, 
it says, uh, the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I've put my words in your mouth. See today, I, have a, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down and to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So there's like, there's like this de deconstruction going on here. Uh, just a picture of it there in that verse. Yeah. Yep. And then, a, then a reconstruction and then a reconstruction. A re yeah. <laughs> so what is it? Like, what are the big things uh, that you've seen that Holy Spirit's uh, been tuning you into about about what needs to be de deconstructed? Mm. You know, in, in Christian theology or what what's been commonly well, believed. One of them is the very first thing we talked about a few minutes ago. Um, this idea of where we start. Do we start in Genesis one or we start in Genesis three? Yeah. Like, where does the gospel start? And um. I think that's a conversation we need to have again. Um, and we need to, we need to think it through and examine the glasses that we're using to think it through. So we're not just thinking through the idea. We're thinking through the perspective that we bring to how we look at the idea and not just, not just quote unquote, a different perspective. I need to do that too. And I'm, and I, I feel like I am. I'm trying to do that. Um, it's one of the reasons why my perspective has changed, um, but I think it will continue to. So I think that's I think that's a thing that has been um, on my mind. The Spirit has been impressing me, and it seems like it keeps popping up. Um, you know, we just got done an open table uh, in the city of Missoula, Montana, a couple weeks ago, and this whole idea came up several times. Um, it also came up in the school theology that we do uh, a couple times a year where we spend a week together, 20 or 25 of us just talking about these things and processing them together in a small community uh, environment. Um, but it came up there a lot of times and it really is, uh, it's back to the identity question of who I am, um, yeah. which is a pretty big deal. Uh, that's one thing. A second thing is, is maybe the other end, kind of not thinking of where we began or that, but where we're going. Um, the, this, this was something that comes up a lot and I've been giving this a lot of thought because of the perspective we bring. I, you know, I was raised that um, when you died, so ended your ability to choose. And <clears throat> so whatever choices you made in this life, those choices had an eternal consequence. And um, yeah, because you didn't have, once you died, you didn't have the opportunity to change your mind, which is really kind of frightening because I imagine um, somebody from that viewpoint you know, lives out their life, they choose to not follow Jesus, believe in Jesus, trust Jesus, whatever metaphors you want to use. They, they don't want to really engage in any type of relationship with Jesus. They die, and in that framework, they go to hell. And so after a few minutes in hell or a few billion years, whatever, um, they change their mind. They're like, oh my gosh, this is this is crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, 
God is true. God is right. Jesus is the Lord of heaven and earth. I, I know that he loves me. I trust him. So, but God goes, oh, I'm sorry. You've changed your mind, but it's too late. It's almost like I'd want to go, wait a minute. You made your point. You're right. I admit that I was wrong. I confess that my life and the way I've lived and what I've thought is all wrong and that you're right. And I, I know this now. I trust you. Um, and God goes, no, I did make my point, but I'm sorry that you've made your choice and you have to live with it forever. Age with that, upon age upon age without end. And I just go like, what kind of being is that? They would go, yeah, I made my point. <laughs> I won you over, right? So to speak, but I'm too bad, you know, mm -hmm. um, that doesn't make any sense to me. And that, that says huge things about the character, the, who this God really is. Yeah. The other thing that I've been given a lot of thought to in, on the same line um, is this makes no logical sense to me either. I, again, scripturally, there's nothing, depending on the lenses you're reading the Bible through, you can read in the Bible where it, there's places it seems like, well, of course, people have choice after they physically die. There's other places with, with a different perspective, different lenses that look very much like, well, of course they don't have choice after they die. So you can read the Bible and you can find statements that would advocate whichever view you want. But logically it doesn't make sense either because what I mean by that, Daniel, is as I understand it, and this would be, a, I think, this goes back to the first thing I said, back to the question of being made in the image of God and his likeness. It seems to me that however, at least everything I've read, um, however we understand what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God, that pretty much everyone includes in that understanding that humans have the ability to choose. I won't even say free because that's debated. How free is our choice? What's not debated is that we have the ability to choose. That's part of what it means to be human, right? Mm -hmm. By definition, that's especially if we're trying to define humanness as bearing the image and likeness of, of God, of, specifically of the Son of God who is, who's human. Um, we're made in Jesus' image. So here's what makes no sense. If what it means to be human is the ability to choose, then if I lose the ability to choose when I die, then what God did was he just dehumanized me. Mm -hmm. why, so why would he make me human for 70, 80, 90, 100? Let's say I live as long as Methuselah and I live a thousand years. Why would he make me human and make this actually mean what it means to be human? And then when I die, he dehumanizes me. He, he literally takes that ability away from me. So I'm no longer human. I'm no longer in the image of God when I die. That literally makes no sense whatsoever. But that's what we're saying if we say it. And I'm just like, I don't even, I'm not quite sure how to do that. I'm sure there's someone that's a million times smarter than me that would come up with a great logical philosophical answer. Um, you know, it just doesn't make sense. That topic is, is something that, the, the Lord has pinged for me something I'm going after on my channel. I, I don't know if you, you've, you might've noticed. Awesome. 
Yeah, it's something I've talked with Brad Jerzak about. Mm-hmm. I've talked with William Paul Young about that very issue. You know, I've, I've got these interviews and it's something that's very near and dear to my heart because like for seven years, it felt like I was in hell, you know, but it was of my own making. It was of my own confusion. It was of my own spiritual blindness. You know, that's really what I've come to see that the death is all about. The death is our spiritual blindness to this unconditional love of God, you know, and then the last enemy to be defeated is death. You know, like he's going to resolve our spiritual blindness in due time through whatever kind of means and situations and scenarios are, are called upon and the lessons will be learned and it's all, it's going to be brilliant in the end. And I do have this, this, this hope, this underlying hope. I mean, I even had this phrase pop up, you know, in the, in the morning, you know, and I'm like, you know, the Holy Spirit's there to greet me in the morning, you know, this phrase, uh, have you considered the, the curative and restorative qualities of hell? You know, and I and I'm just like I had to just stop and ponder that for a while, and then yeah, talking to Brad Jerzak, yeah, yeah, talking to Brad Jerzak about the, you know, even the English translations, you know, for eternal punishment, uh, age-lasting um, chastisement was how how you can translate that, and and what is an age? You know, maybe it's it's like these star systems that we pass through, and that's what the age we're talking about, age of Pisces, and it mm-hmm. seems to relate biblically. Uh, we're coming out of the age of Pisces right now into the age of Aquarius, you know, astrologically. Um, is that the age that the Bible refers to? Hmm. You know, that's just, these are just questions. Right. I'm thinking about. Well, again, we, because we have certain glasses on, we've attached a meaning to that and we've made it eternal as in never ending. Yeah. And I don't think that's the way, it was thought of or, or understood an age is a period of time. It can be short. It can be long. It's just a period of time. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I think, I think, you know, in what you're saying, I, um, it, the whole idea of death and all that. So at the end, the question I, I want to ask, and I have been asking is, are, do we believe that death is greater than life? Do we really believe that death wins in the end or life wins in the end? And then you read John one, you know, in him was life. This was the light of men and he lights every man coming into the world. Right. So what we're saying is that death wins, but then I read my Bible and it says death doesn't win. Jesus destroyed death, like literally blew it up. It's, it's destroyed. So it just doesn't, it doesn't, it's not that it just doesn't make logical sense to me. It doesn't make biblical sense to me either because we're, we're saying the, the opposite of what the Bible repeatedly says in multiple places about death and what God has done with death. Right. Yeah. We, we just go, no, that's, yeah, that's only for some, that's how we get around it. And I'm going, no, no. So. Yeah. He has swallowed up death in victory, you know, yeah, yep. leads captives in his train. Uh, the ca- you know, freeing them, freeing the captives, right? So, and you're referring to three different passages there. First Corinthians 15, Ephesians 4, and Colossians 2. That's what I mean. It's, it's, it's a repeated theme in multiple letters, texts. Like this isn't just an isolated idea, right? It's all the way through. It's everywhere. Yeah. 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 We'll start seeing it once we have the eyes to see it. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Exactly. The redemptive. redemptive. Back to the glasses. 
mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so um, that's a couple things I've been thinking about. Sounds like you've been thinking about them too and asking um, good people their thoughts. Um, yeah. I think another thing for me has been, um, uh, again, to answer your, to address your questions, not an answer. Uh, uh, recently, I've been given more and more thought, and and when I say giving thought, Daniel, I'm, I also include in that, and I should, because people listening, I'm not just saying I'm off thinking. When I'm giving something thought, I'm also talking to Papa about this. Yeah, and um. And that's to um, my journey uh, has been where I need to I need to learn better how to listen, and I don't mean listen just simply listening to another human being, but listen to God speaking, because I I believe that God is speaking. I believe He's always speaking. Are there times when He may be quiet or silent? Yeah, but for the most part like you and I, we are communicating. I believe God communicates. Um, And I think the problem isn't that God so rarely communicates that we're waiting all of our lives to hear something. And again, I'm saying that metaphorically, whether you hear it literally, audibly or not, it doesn't matter. But I I don't think that's the case. I think the problem is more with us hearing, which this would seem to make sense to me with the concept of blindness. It's not just blindness, it's hearing loss. So to use the metaphor, right? Um, So we're blind and deaf, you know, like we're Tommy in the old rock opera, you know, we're deaf, dumb, and blind and God's healing that. So one of the things for me that I'm have been paying attention to recently is the healing of being able to hear him, um, becoming more aware of him speaking, whether it's in me or another human being, he's in them and they're speaking to me, whether it's something that I read, it just so many different ways through an experience, through, you know, all, so many things. Um, and what's really fun for me, and it's not just fun, but it's a joy, is a couple things. One, the joy of communicating with your maker, which is like when you think about it, it's like, oh, my gosh, this is mind-blowing. <laughs> you know, the being that made me is communicating to me. Oh, my goodness, right? Like, um, you know, I think of, I think of the psalmist, you know, what is man that you're mindful of him? You know, like, right. Oh my gosh, what a, what a privilege. What, what love, right? The second part of that is the joy of it's, it's actually a relationship. There's actual communication and relating going on. Not just me reading a text, trying to figure out what does it mean and once I figure out what it means, how do I apply that to my life? And it's, there's nothing wrong with all that. That's all good. It's a great exercise. But that's not a relationship, right? That's a task. Yeah. And uh, so having the relationship 
and it, it, growing and, and experiencing healing and, and being able to hear God, um, the relationship just becomes more real, more alive, more joyous, more um, almost tangible because I, I'm actually experiencing relationship. And I can't prove that, right? <laughs> I mean, not about proving it. We're not, we're not here to twist anybody's arm, right? Yeah. It's in our, in our scientific age. That's what people have asked me. Like, well, what good is that? And I go, it's everything to me. I get that to you. You're just hearing me going, ah, oh, this would just be another guy, you know, talking about his thing. And he's, you know, he's deceived himself or whatever. But I go, no, I, I understand how you may think that, but that doesn't matter. It's everything to me because okay. I'm experiencing it. And that's lovely. But I, but I do, I do need other people to help me make sure that the experience that I, you know, cause it is possible for me. I, I know this, it's possible for me in my blindness, in my deafness to be misunderstanding. And so I not only ask God, God, am I hearing you right? Like I'm feeling this. Are you feeling that? You know, hmm. but also asking my friends, you, my wife, whoever, right? Um, does this sound crazy to you? <laughs> does this sound, right? <laughs> so, but that again, like I said, it, it's the joy of actually experiencing relationship, real relationship with a real being person and not just an idea or a text or a theology. And that makes all the difference, right?